0: And welcome back, everybody. Welcome back to the pre-admission game. Lovely to have you all listening. So this is going to be one of those long-promised and then finally-delivered general interest episodes. So today we're going to sidestep the specific details of, of GAMSAT and interview and talk about things that generally prepare you, not just for medical admission, but also the medical world and beyond so specialty training. I mean, that's a really long mm-hmm. way off. But what Mitch and I are going to be talking about today... Well, Mitch, do you actually want to introduce... Yeah, introduce absolutely. It? I'll introduce the title of the episode because I came up with it. I think it's cool. <laughs> and you can tell everybody what it means because you won't know unless <laughs> unless you specify. So the
1: title of today's episode is
0: Who's Who at the Zoo? Mitch, what do I mean by who's who at the zoo?
1: So uh, by the zoo, I'll start with that. You you mean the hospital and with that, the the medical sort of hierarchy, I suppose, as the, as the, the zoo.
0: When you phrase it like that, it makes me feel really bad for calling it a zoo. Well, it's sort of, we're trying to go for a fun, upbeat explanation and not get bogged down in the technicalities. But yeah, absolutely.
1: You know. And the who's who is just, you know, who are these people? What are these particular roles that doctors have within the hospital? Because I think, you know, from a lay person's perspective, which, uh, it's just a term meaning person. people who are sort of, I suppose, medically uninitiated. You know, it's very easy to say, okay, there, there are doctors that are in the hospital. Some doctors don't work in hospitals. Okay, well, what does that actually mean? Obviously, you know, there are junior doctors. There are people very early on in their training. And then there are people who are, you know, fully minted, you know, in their specialty career. Um, And they will obviously have vastly different skill sets. Um, So, I suppose today, Aaron, what we're, what we're going to be doing I, <laughs> is talking about who these people are and what they, you know, what they typically do for the medical team. Um, And with that, we hope that you will be able to, you know, not only, you know, have a better idea of how the hospital system works and functions from a medical perspective, but also you'll know sort of what your trajectory will look like in terms of training and, you know, and, and going through exams and other hurdles that you need to go to, on the on the way hmm. i know this is the this is the pre-admission game and i suppose we're talking we're talking about stuff post-admission. Post-admission. post admission what's going on post admission game th- day this this will be really helpful for you during your interview as well hmm. as and and you know and deciding whether or not hmm. this is something that you know right for you is yeah. right for you at the so end of the day. let's
0: let's talk learning outcomes from hmm. this lecture guys <laughs> <laughs> so first learning outcome is as mitch said the most concrete one is you're going to learn who's who in terms of interviews so when you interview and they ask, you know, they tell you, you are a medical student, you're a junior doctor, you're a registrar, that will give you context for the interview question, which is critical because it tells you what your responsibilities are. Definitely. Now, moving beyond the interview question, in terms of learning about the career, it Mm. gives you an idea of what your timeline is going to be. And I think for me, it certainly made me a little bit more calm with my applications to med school, because it made me realize that the journey is so long that, you know, What's one or two GAMSATs? You know, it's a it drop in the ocean. And finally, the last thing, it's going to be really good practical advice for you in terms of who you approach, whether you're doing a bit of work experience, volunteering, you know, building your, your portfolio um, at a hospital, or you're actually in med school and you're about to start your rotation, right? It's gonna give you a really, really good idea of who you approach with what queries. You know, you don't wanna be approaching a, an associate professor with, you know, a trivial question, you know, wh- where's the hand wash? I mean, you totally can. But you also have to, you know, think about who so is the most your audience, appropriate. You pick your audience exactly who you should be leveling the most appropriate questions to and, and mm, you know, mm, the, mm. the form- degree of formality that you should be adopting. So without further ado, ladies and gentlemen, I'm going to let Mitch introduce the first category of of species, the first category of <laughs> beasts, the wonder, the grounds of the hospital, Mitch, can you please introduce them?
1: Yes, yeah, so I suppose we'll start at the bottom of the food chain just to sort of continue this uh, this analogy of of the zoo. Um, so we've first got the medical student right and and Aaron and I know uh, this role extremely well, in fact, we have just graduated, graduated.
0: so I guess we know the ins and outs. <laughs>
1: Of all all that is you know good and bad about being a medical student, but essentially medical students are a part of the the medical team. So you know they're distinct from nursing and midwifery students in that they are on the the medical team, so to speak. Um, but
0: as opposed to sort of the nursing or midwifery team, that's not to say that nursing and midwifery are excluded from the treating team. Yeah, you it's know, just that sort of the, absolutely, the absolutely. you don't round necessarily with. Oh, I guess and you, you don't. You might round with them, but you don't spend your the majority of your working hours with. Nursing and, and midwifery students, you spend them with sort of your interns and yeah. Residents I suppose, we'll I suppose later. Yeah. yeah.
1: Not to not to say that they're not part of the healthcare team at all. That's that's not true at all. Everyone like the the team is very multidisciplinary. They're involved. in a different nook. It's just they're in a they're, exactly they're they're doing slightly different things and have different jobs. And the the medical team I so I suppose is is. It denotes like what the medical doctors tend to do on a day-to-day mm. basis. And that's what mm. we're going to be covering today. We'll have to address nursing and um, other allied health in a separate pod. Um, but that, that's also something that would be very useful for you guys to know about as well. So, you know, when, just coming back to medical students, you know, they, they are, you know, at the earliest stages of their training. Um, they're often rounding with consultants and registrars and other members of the team, uh, which we'll come to later on. Um, but really their role is mainly educational, right? So they're not there as, you know, someone who's being there for therapeutic reasons. They're there to learn the art and science of medicine in a clinical context. And and that's when you're, you've gotten into med school and you are doing your rotations. You'll hear people talk about sort of rotating through, um, you know, certain specialty areas, um, but then they will, you know, ultimately that, that takes place over sort of two to three years. And if you know, all things going well. They pass their examinations. They will graduate med school um, and and, and enter the, the workforce as, you know, paid... (laughs) Mitch is really (laughs) emphasizing that part you can see that he's
0: been starved financially starved as a student for many years but uh, I guess before we move on to they're they're becoming interns so the medical students their rotations okay so what is a rotation rotation is a period of time that you spend attached to a particular team or department in the hospital Mm. now there are mandatory rotations each medical student must complete you must complete a rotation in the emergency department. Mm. You must complete a rotation in surgical and medical departments, respectively. Then there's also what we call specialty rotations, which is a bit confusing because I guess there's lots of specialties. But when we say specialty rotations for a medical student, we're talking about the core specialties of obstetrics, gynecology. So that's to do with childbirth and, and pregnant ladies. So you have psychiatry, which is, of course, very important. And then you have pediatrics and general practice. Any other ones you want to you wanna chip in, Mitch? So we've, we've covered psychiatry,
1: pediatrics. The, another important one would be obstetrics in gynecology, which, mm. of course, is um, sort of pregnant women and... The and, complications and, associated with yeah, that. Yeah, exactly, and their, and their newly born babies. Right. Um, and, and gynecology, obviously, is just women's health. Mm. Um, and really, they, they would be the main... The main ones. Sort of specialties. Yeah. Obviously, there are many more, you know, their cardiology. Their, every organ, pretty well, has mm. a specialty associated with it. And you can rotate through all of these throughout your medical sort of studentship.
0: But, of course, you know, there's no compulsory cardiology rotation, no. whereas there is a compulsory psychiatry and, and women's rotation. So you, you can't get away from those, um, fortunately. I, I think very, very important. And, and sometimes we try and, and duck out of the more complicated stuff, but mm-hmm. we can't to qualify. Um, and, of course, what, what does a medical students day look like? Well, you arrive in the morning a little bit before what we call the round, which is the the big meeting when the medical team goes and visits every single patient. And you arrive a little bit beforehand. You print off the notes for every patient or maybe you look at, at the computer notes and then you go on the round with the team. And, and what do you do during the round, Mitch? What have you done in the past?
1: I mean, it's... It it would pr- probably depend on where you are in your medical sort of student training. Mm. Uh, you know, people that are more early, you know, maybe sort of second and third years, depending on, you know, if it's a postgraduate or undergraduate course, obviously. But, you know, depending on if you're new or late in your medical sort of school training, um, you may be doing anything from purely observing and answering consultant or registrar questions through to operating sort of in a similar way to the intern where you are you know, doing, um, you know, certain clerical jobs, you know, you might be writing lab orders. You can do lots of things. Obviously, you can't sign off on on anything, so you can't order medications and prescribe. Um, and, And the reason for that is you just don't have the prescribing... Um, you know, ticket yet, which is, you know, a medical degree in the medical degree <laughs> in and of itself. <laughs> yeah. Right.
0: Yeah. So it's, it's very administrative. And, and you're also probably asking lots of questions, right? Absolutely. You're observing, you're observing procedures, mm. you're, you're assisting in procedures, maybe if you're lucky and you feel m- well qualified, you can ask to even perform some simple procedures like inserting cannulas on taking blood, mm. um, you know, needles of, of, of all varieties and sorts. Mm. Um, and of course, once the round is over, what you do is you sit down and you collate all of the outstanding jobs. So that's some of the stuff that we've discussed. You yeah. don't do the jobs on the round. You, you do a mandatory yeah. coffee. Coffee, absolutely. Mandatory <laughs> coffee run for everybody um, because you work up really, really early. The ward round happens you know, anywhere yeah. between 6 and 8 a.m., depending on, on which team you're with. And, of course, mm. after that, the jobs get done. And then you have this time as a med student to go and role-play being a doctor. So you can go and you can chat to, to patients and you know, do the whole medical shtick and beginning to end. So you mm. chat to them, you say, how, hi, how are you? Interview them, do the examinations mm. on them, and then try and come up with a diagnosis. So you're sort of, you are know, you're there to rehearse what you're going to be doing in a couple of years for real.
1: Absolutely. Mm. So it's a, it's a real, you know, it's, it, it seems like, you know, something that maybe, you know, isn't super essential, but it, it's at the end of the day, you are there for yourself, Um, to try and learn the art and science of medicine. And that's something that you can't just acquire. You know, it's not something that's passive. It requires being there, being engaged and actually involving yourself with the treating team. Mm. Uh, The the role of a medical student will vary from team to team. But at the end of the day, you know, they they are someone who is a part of the team and, um, you know, and does have, you know, some role to play, you know, whether it's Supporting the intern to help them with their clerical jobs or helping to admit. The only things that you can't do, as we've already said, are, you know, any sort of formal prescribing or making any laboratory orders because you just don't have that, you know, that ticket yet, mm. which is a really nice segue, I suppose, into, into internship, internship where you do have that ticket. So, yeah. Aaron, could you tell us about internship?
0: Absolutely. So, internship is, is something that exists. It is a fairly universal concept, you know, no, no, matter, no matter how long you're Medical degree is, no matter where you did your medical degree, almost mm. all countries or uh, all nations have some equivalent of internship. And it's generally considered. Um, in something that is that is invariably attached to your medical school, your medical school graduation. So you're not considered a fully fledged uh, junior doctor until you complete your internship. Mm. But the upside of that is, of course, your internship. You are employed, so you you do get financially remunerated. And as Mitch pointed out, you do have the capacity to prescribe. You have a prescriber mm. number, mm. and and you are registered with uh, the you know the APrA, the governing body of healthcare practitioners. We won't mm, go mm. into the the nitty-gritty of that now an intern's job is actually quite similar to a med student's job with the exception of the fact that they have very real responsibility so it's sort of like uh, uh, you take what the med student does but then you raise the stakes make it real and times it by about a hundred that's that's sort of what the intern does so you still do the same paperwork except Mm. you have to do all of it it's not the odd piece of paperwork that you've been handed as a little learning activity, it's a very real you know, health document that you now have to fill out. Um, you have to see and review patients when they feel unwell. Again, now the stakes are higher because you actually have to assess them and make calls as mm. to whether they're well, unwell, if they require treatment. Uh, you call your boss if something serious comes up. So that's one of the senior doctors that we'll talk about in a second. But I suppose that's a really
1: good point just mm. to mention there that you, like, although you do have all this responsibility, you are also supposed to be at least, you know, very well supported, aren't you? Because it's still an internship at the end of the day. So you are still like under the wing of, you know, the other more experienced doctors.
0: The buck certainly doesn't stop with you.
1: No, that's right. Because so there are, you have other people that are more senior, which we'll go into in a second, um, who you would be constantly sort of talking to, asking for advice um, on, you know, the jobs that you've been assigned um, and, and, you know, really making shared decisions with your more senior colleagues about the best way to move forward with, like, treatment decisions for your patients. Mm,
0: absolutely, and all the while you're still learning, right? So now you get to perform more complicated procedures. You know you're still not <laughs> operating by your lonesome, not removing mm. appendis- appendices. Um, <laughs> but at the same time, you're you're you know you're still far away from being a specialist. So again, you have rotations as an intern, so you don't sit you know, don't just come into the hospital and get assigned a set of patients. You work with, with teams. And there's, again, compulsory rotations that you must fulfill in, in surgical units and in, in emergency units. And what you're doing there is you're doing all of these jobs. But at the same time, you're still upskilling and improving your independence, because in your future, you will likely have to do some sort of further training, perhaps mm. specialty training. And you will, again, step up in responsibilities. So I think We've covered the majority of what, oh, no, there is one more thing that we need to discuss when it comes to interns. So every time you advance in medicine, there's this phenomenon of pull as you climb. And I mean, I guess if you're a nasty person, you can neglect that, right? But the reality of the situation is that when you become an intern, right, the people that you're closest to and that are closest to you in levels of training are med students, right? Mm. So you become this intermediate between med students and the more senior doctors. So it sort of becomes your responsibility to, I guess, mentor to some degree the medical students and, and support them and, and make sure that they have something to do and that they feel directed during the day. Mm. Because the more senior staff, they have more complex medical issues to attend to, right? They, I mean, it, it's, it's important that they're nice and it's important that they look at the medical students and chat to them from time to time and answer the, their questions, but it's really not their responsibility to take on the bulk of the mentorship role. That belongs to the intern. So the intern is not only responsible for their training, And their workload and their patients they also have this this responsibility you know de facto by due to the level of of seniority Mm. to look after Mm. the medical students on the wards and i've had a fantastic experience with (laughs) with interns sort of mentoring me and i'm sure you have as well yeah
1: absolutely okay so we've we've i think we've we've pretty much covered internship and absolutely and i look forward to our respective internships next year in 2022 <laughs> ah yes indeed we'll
0: tune in for a podcast in a couple
1: of months when everything crashes and burns <laughs> we're dreading, and complaining you yeah. yeah, uh. like
0: oh god just to be medical students forever <laughs> but no
1: but uh so the the next sort of stage in training and that would be you know roughly a year after your internship so it's actually quite you know well demarcated that internship all going well i mean i haven't heard of an intern who hasn't proceeded to becoming fully registered as a resident you know, after that, hmm. um, but you know, so the idea—that's so what that they're
0: called, by the way. So when you finish your intern year, the next year after that, if you, you know, if all's well and good, hmm. you become something called a resident, a resident or an HMO. Yeah, or a,
1: so a house medical officer. Yeah. There's
0: there's some controversy, I think, house medical officer, hospital medical officer. Yeah, I, right. I never, I don't actually know which one is right. So we're gonna call them HMOs. <laughs> we'll leave it ambiguous. But and yeah, that's not to be confused with
1: House, the series, because.
0: Yeah, yeah. house is certainly not an hmo is no. far beyond that but yeah so so a resident and an hmo some medical officer the, these are the same things and you become an hmo or a resident immediately after you complete your internship so mm. one year after so as you complete your internship it takes one year and then you become an uh, an hmo and that
1: at that point you would be considered sort of a fully registered doctor wouldn't you in some yeah, you're, ways
0: you're a fully registered junior doctor that's
1: right so you know not not a specialist not a um, you know not a consultant not not, not like a those...
0: provisional junior doctor that's right
1: you are a you are a, a sort of a. I was going to say fair dinkum that's an australian sort of slang term for those For, those, for that
0: one percent <laughs> of irish listeners yeah. Yeah, yeah
1: but so you would be you know a, a house medical officer or a Whatever, whatever whatever HMO stands for. Yeah. So you're a resident essentially, and traditionally they're called residents because they used to live in the hospital, right? Um, you know, now we have uh, you know safe, houses. No. Houses. <laughs> <laughs> now we yeah. have now we have you know safer working conditions at least in Australia. Sorry, to those listening in the UK. <laughs> they still have to live in in the hospital. Is that? I'm not exactly so. sure. Yeah. But the but the the point is that we um you know gone are the days where people actually live in the hospitals throughout their residency, um, but it's still sort of called a resident um, to pay homage to that sort of period of, of medical um, practice. Mm. Now, Aaron, how is sort of the, the resident's job different to that of an intern?
0: Yeah, so I think, think of it this, t- uh, this way, it's like a staircase. Every time you advance a year, um, you increase the responsibilities that you can take on. Mm. Um, certainly in your junior years, this is more true than the senior years. In the senior years, it's more about exams and qualifications. But the leap between intern and RMO is uh, allegedly, you know they come back to me in three years, a, a significant step up in responsibility. You become a lot more independent in your practice. Um, you take on more complex duties in the hospital, so more complex procedures. You are exposed to specialties and avenues of, of care that are probably beyond the reach of the intern. So, for example, if you're interested in things like intensive care, anaesthetics, mm. that's when those jobs begin opening up when you're sort of in your in your second, third year out yeah, of right. medical
1: school. So remember we were talking about those specialty rotations that you were doing as a medical student. Well, that doesn't stop. You know, as an intern, you still take on rotations um, and they're commonly more general in nature and they're similar to the ones that you were doing mm. as a medical student. Now, when you're a resident, it's sort of... You still have rotations. But everything becomes sort of fair game at that point, doesn't it? Because Mm. you can take on sort of ICU rotations. Like an
0: intern, for example, can't do a rotation through intensive... Or generally can't do do a rotation through an intensive care unit because it's a little bit too advanced for them. Mm. But an RMO or an HMO or resident, whatever you want to call them, actually can do that. They can apply for that job. Having said that, though, residents still rotate. So the only type of doctor that stays in their lane, so to speak is a specialist. A specialist sees, you know, their specialty patient. An anesthetist works in anesthetics. Mm. You might notice that an HMO doesn't have any particular specialty attached. There's no like specialty attached to any of mm. the the uh, the words or letters in, in that title. Therefore, they rotate through. They have a preference as to where they rotate through. Mm. But at the end of the day, it's it's a game of, it's a bit of a tug of war between the person and the hospital because everybody has interests.
1: And I think that's, that's a really good point to mention sort of the differentiation of a doctor at that point because, you know, interns are all by design general. So they're able mm. to do all like the major, you know, general rotations. But then as you become a resident, now we're starting to see people who sort of, have a surgical interest, say, doing predominantly or almost exclusively surgical rotations. And the people who, say, want to become physicians, you know, the more medical sort of side of medicine, you know, they will do medical rotations. You know, they, these things would be like cardiology, respiratory, um, you know, gastroenterology, these types of rotations that would lend themselves to towards being, you know, more specialized but not necessarily down one particular lane as you sort of said Aaron like they're not specialists per se but they are doing more rotations of a specific like of a general area Mm-hmm. Is that uh, would you would you agree with that? Absolutely, absolutely. They're starting to tailor their professional profile, if you will. And and with that, we're starting to see exams come back into the mix again. So to those of you who think you know once they're finished with medical school, they are done with exams. No. That is not true. Unfortunately, we have bad news. <laughs> so you know that this is in residency, and it's typically you know in in sort of second, third years, particularly with those going down surgical or general sort of medical, so physician paths where they start having to do specialty sort of entrance exams. Now, we won't go into the particulars of that. It's sort of beyond the scope of this. But, you know, it's it's good to know that, you know, that you are starting to differentiate, I suppose, at this sort of stage in your career. Hmm,
0: absolutely. It's also the stage in your career where, because you're sort of differentiating, you start to think about all the other things that you could do to supplement your training, right? So... We're thinking about, you know, what research projects are you participating in? Mm. Um, are you doing additional diplomas like a diploma of ultrasound or, you know, a master's in psychiatry? You're sort of you're, you're diversifying your knowledge base. Mm. And much like in med school, you quickly learn that, that a lot of the training and a lot of the education that you uh, require as a doctor, because it's an apprenticeship, es- essentially, it's very self-directed. You have to go out of your way and, and actually look for the appropriate qualifications that build your resume and make you qualified for the job. Right? Yeah, totally. it's, it's not, you know, it's not like you, you cruise through, you know, medical school is very, very fixed. You're like, today we have a lecture on this. Doesn't really happen in the hospital. There's some training that is provided, mm. but you have to be very, very independent. And. Sort of your this this RMO situation, it doesn't necessarily last for a year. Like it, it's you can it can last as long as you want, mm. right? Theoretically, you can stay in RMO for life if you want. That's a, right. A we career, call them career, exactly. Career, career medical, medical offices, f- and it's it's a great gig. Um, many people choose to do that. Mm. However, as mentioned previously, this is a junior doctor, relatively junior, maybe mid-level doctor without a specialty, mm. right? And they still lack a little bit of, of the independence that specialists gain and, and certainly I mean, a little bit of the financial re- remunerations as well, uh, remuneration as well, but it's not what this podcast is about. So these career medical officers, right, or just RMOs, sort of stay in their lane for as long as they want. Now, Mitch, what do you actually have to do to make the transition between RMO and the next step? And the mm-hmm. next step is, is known as being a registrar. So what, what do you have to do to go from... A to B
1: yeah I mean it, so it totally depends on where you know which specialty you're, you're mm. going into so I suppose that that is the the, the key point there you, at the point where you say I want to apply for a registrar job, you're effectively kind of differentiating um, to your to your trajectory of what you will inevitably sort of become as a consultant. So if you are you know becoming a, a physician you will become a medical registrar and then you will start the exam pathway and the trajectory towards becoming a physician. If you want to be a surgeon, you will do the same thing, but in surgery. And um, I suppose the same goes for crit care with anesthetics or ICU. Crit or care for the
0: uninitiated is critical care, it's anesthetics, intensive care, um, and emergency. ED, emergency department work, yeah.
1: Yeah, so at this point you are kind of committed to your specialty track in some ways. Of course you can, You can go back and you can do other things, but you know, if you if you do want to, you know, I suppose optimize your 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 way of training. um, And we are trying to keep it simple for you today. You know, just sticking. This is a very reductionist approach, I think, and and that's
0: for everybody. For everybody's benefit, for your benefit, and so that we don't (laughs) say something way out of line.
1: (laughs) So the the essentially they these people have picked a specialty. For instance, they might have decided they're going to do surgery, and they've applied for a registrar job. And what that means is a consultant or a group of you know consultants in a department or in a college, which is the big, you know, organising bodies of the big medical specialties have agreed to take you on and and train you to become a consultant. So, you know, whether that, um, you know, depending on that specialty will be different, um, but essentially you are committing yourself to a specialty and a college or a department or a group of, you know, specialist doctors are saying, yes, we are happy with this person and we are going to train them mm. in a particular specialty.
0: So the way I like to think about colleges, because it's a very confusing concept, I mean, especially for, for, for me sort of looking into this and into, into the mm. future of my medical training is I, I sort of envision them as a bit of a, a university society, a university club right? You can always attend a very the exclusive. very exclusive. Very exclusive. <laughs> you can always attend the events, right? I mean, you can go on their website, look through mm. all of their documents, whatever. But if you want to become a member, and you have to become a member of a college of, of say, anesthetics to become an anesthetist, mm. right? You have to apply to the exclusive club. Now, what happens is when you apply to the exclusive club, there's two parts to this. First of all, the club has to look at your resume and say, yes, you have the qualifications to, mm. you know, join our our exclusive club and begin training as an anesthetic doctor god i Mm. had a hard time with that word as an (laughs) anesthetic doctor you can begin your training you can transition from being an rmo to a registrar anaesthetist right registrar means trainee anaesthetist specifying which training college right so it's resume dependent Mm. right now your resume contains lots of things it's how many years you've worked for what other qualifications you have your references from the people that you worked with at the hospital mm. so it's very very multifactorial and i believe there's an interview as well so you have to pass Definitely. an interview so that's there's, yeah
1: mm. i mean and i suppose it goes without saying that it is highly competitive so this mm. is i suppose but if you if you're if you thought you know you're in the pre-admission game so you're about to get into medical school or you're trying to get into medical school you'd be thinking oh this is really hard really competitive now if you're going down a competitive field, you know, that it's, it's going to be the same sort of level of anxiety and challenge again. You know, this is probably the next big hurdle in your professional career. I mean, career. not if you're an
0: absolute champion.
1: <laughs> <I'm> <laughs> not kidding. If, you're, not if you're like Aaron. Yeah, <laughs> no, no. So
0: the way you definitely think about this sort of anxiety, I, I, don't, I don't want to turn this into a, like a fear factor episode, but yeah. um, Mitch is absolutely right in the sense that it's nerve wracking because think about it this way. First, you were filtered out based on your ATAR to attend, you know, whatever degree it is that you studied at university. Then you were filtered out based on your GAMSAT GPA and interview to be a med student. Mm. Then you were filtered out based on your medical school performance or your your internship performance to work at a particular hospital. And now the creme de la creme of whatever group you you associate with is going to be filtered out to apply for this limited number of training positions. Mm-hmm. So there's been a lot of filters, right? So it, it's, it's quite tricky, right? And I mean, the general consensus is, if you are trying, you know, working hard, if you impress the people that you're working with, if you have a great resume, sooner mm-hmm. or later you'll get in. But that's not to undermine the fact that it's incredibly challenging. Mm-hmm. And if you don't get in the first time, you do more time as an RMO. So you stay Very as a much. junior doctor. You you keep picking your sort of uh, the the rotations that you want to do. You
1: keep training, so you're still moving forward. And you're still and you're still making an income, and you're still, and you're, and an you're still learning. So it's not all bad. It's just. In terms of professional development, I suppose you're kind of treading water in a way as a JMO Mm -hmm. waiting to get onto that registrar if sort
0: of. that's if you want to specialize that's right, right. that's right? right and the programs are of different ver- you know, there's varying def- levels of difficulty some programs are in dire need of trainees so we know that psychiatry is a rapidly expanding field mm. where they're in desperate need o- of qualified psychiatrists because <laughs> we woke so up one day and re- re- we were like wait uh, maybe psychiatry, mental health, mental health big problem maybe <laughs> we should fix that right so so there because they they need a bigger training pool, mm. right? the The competition will be less, not because it's less hard, not because they're less selective, but simply because there's a bigger training. Pool. Yeah, it's. I mean, right? it's ex- it's a
1: supply demand mm. curve, isn't exactly. it? Exactly,
0: it's literally supply and demand curve. And then you know, you you go to sort of the opposite end of the spectrum. Funnily enough, still to do with the brain, but if you look at neurosurgery, mm. right, incredibly competitive specialty, incredibly difficult, challenging to get into, simply because. Uh, the the surgeries are so niche that perhaps the supply demand curve is skewed the other way so Mm. you can you know potentially get into a psychiatry program I'm going to pull some numbers out so please if the college is listening to this I I really hope they're not don't don't sue me (laughs) don't don't judge me for pulling random numbers out I'm Mm. just a finally a medical student but from our perspective and and for our sort of very junior listenership you know proverbially speaking you might have uh, you know a one attempt two attempts and get into psychiatry whereas neurosurgery you might have to tr- try you know seven times eight times so you, you'd spend a, a few more years as an rmo mm. if you were a neurosurgery hopeful than if you were a psychiatry hopeful for for example again hypothetically speaking these are this is you know this is not training advice <laughs> this is uh not not specific to you mm. or your resume or your performance this is just a general illustration of how the system works
1: definitely and and that's not to say that you know because something's more competitive it's necessarily better or whatever it no. just means that there are less positions available just which an economy naturally makes things more competitive um ultimately people will follow their interests you may get the most you know hard-working smartest you know blah blah blah. doctors that are entering psychiatry one year and and you know, the, the, and the same again could happen for, for neurosurgery. And well, it just depends on, right? it depends on what, what people are interested in, what the working conditions are, and what people are sort of interested in at the time. And I think, you know, uh, it, it's, it's really, I suppose you at the end of the day, people need to just follow their passions. And this is all, you know, very far down the track for, for, for all of us. I mean, Aaron and I included at this point. So, um, I suppose, Aaron, if we were to sort of talk a little bit more about, you know, what the day-to-day functioning of a registrar is, Absolutely. what would you sort of say they do? Yeah. So, so a registrar
0: has another name in the hospital, and it's a very important name uh, that I think I only I only cottoned on to the meaning of uh, in, in recent years, and they're called the clinicians, right? So, the, the level above a registrar is called the consultant, right? Mm-hmm. And you can tell the difference even from the name between a consultant and a clinician, right? So the job of a clinician is to do the clinical duties. And what that means is in the morning when you arrive as a medical student to your ward round, it's likely that the ward round will be led by a registrar,
1: mm. right?
0: So they sort of do the bulk of the medium to high level medical or surgical work Mm. under the supervision of their seniors. Under the consultation. Consultation, exactly. The consultation of their seniors. If we had to bring an example in from another industry, I mean, maybe some of you have watched Suits. Think about Mm. it this way, right? There are junior lawyers and there's partners in the firm. The partners might do things like select the cases. They might do some of the more complex client work but the bulk of the work is done by the lawyers, right? Mm. So it's it's really, that that is the job. That's the majority of the job. Like if you mm. think about the majority of things that are done in hospital, physically done, not, not the thought work necessarily, but you do a lot of the complicated thought work, but a lot of that also falls to the consultant. But mm. most of the work that is done by hand in terms of the... the sort of mid, the workhorses. Mo- workhorses, exactly. So sort of uh, a bulk of surgery, a bulk yeah. of the sort of diagnostic work or, or standard diagnostic work mm. in the hospital, um, the, the sort of routine cases, they would be heavily registrar dependent for mm. two reasons. First of all, because registrars are incredibly qualified doctors. They're, they're basically specialists, specialists in training, um, and and they're depending very on where good they are job. in their training. Depending on where they are, but very good at their job, very experienced doctors. And the second reason is because on the journey, on the the route to becoming a specialist consultant, mm. to becoming a, an expert in your field, you have to have a certain number of patients and cases that you've seen. It's kind of like uh, an airline pilot has to have a certain number of hours before they can pilot mm. an airplane. Same deal. If you're a surgeon, you want to become a consultant surgeon. You need to have a certain number of procedures, certain number of hours. Yeah, you need in the to have business. seen
1: hundreds of, oh, exactly. thousands of cases right?
0: over the course of years. Because you literally have to be something. You know, one of the, the the best in your field. Yeah. And the only way you can do that is by practice, right? You can't read that in a textbook. I mean, mm. I think it's self evident by now that most mm. of medicine you can't read in a textbook. And
1: meanwhile, these these registrars are, you know, yes, they are the workhorses of the hospital. They're the ones who lead the teams, but they are also at the same time, undergoing specialty training exams, mm-hmm. um, both practical and sort of theoretical. So there's theoretical. lots of study that's going on there. People are sometimes doing, you know, mm-hmm. other masters, PhDs. Sometimes you know, like the the list goes on of things that people are doing, you know, to to bolster their CVs and become even more qualified. Mm-hmm. At their you know given um you know in their given interests so yeah. it, it's a really really busy grueling time of training mm. the registrar period. But having
0: said all of this, the registrars are usually funnily enough um, you know for for all of you aspiring and, and current med students uh, some of the best teachers in the hospital because when you become a consultant and we'll talk about this in a sec you're sort of very specialised you're very focused on your research you're very focused on your interest you know you've fulfilled your sort of life life dream and you have your own priorities. A registrar is still in training. And that means they're at the peak of their accessible knowledge, if that makes sense. So they're they're not, you know, experts in their field yet, but they are at their peak exam readiness. And that that sort of makes sense, right? Exam readiness is not quite the same as being an expert in your field. Mm, That comes a little bit later. So because they're at their peak of exam and procedural knowledge, they usually, depending on how stressed they are, of course, and how much time they have, like to teach. Mm. And they're very, very valuable teachers because they know exactly what you need to know. Mm. They're sort of... They're in that training pipeline. They're sort of at the end. I guess if I was to give a med school example, a terrible med school example, it's sort of like how MD4's final years, I guess that's the postgraduate example, final year students... Um, often give tutes to first-year students.
1: About like or OSCE preparation. OSCE preparation. Like
0: so things that final year students are comfortable with because they've been doing it for a couple of years. Mm. I, I guess if you take that experience gap and multiply it by about a million, that, mm. that's mm. that's the difference between a registrar and, and a medical student. And that is invaluable. They're, they're very, and for them, the teaching is often a good way to reinforce the concepts themselves. Mm. So it's very, very advisable to maintain a good relationship with everybody in the hospital, but especially the registrars, because they tend to be the ones that that are willing to reinforce their own knowledge by helping out the junior staff and, and by letting them shadow uh, and, and observe and learn and ask questions.
1: Mm, brilliant. Okay. And so with that, we uh, I, I want to sort of shift the conversation to the final sort of I suppose the final stage the, the, the pinnacle of of, yeah. of medical training i suppose you could say allegedly depending <laughs> on who you ask yeah <laughs> hmm. um and that would be as aaron said before that's the consultants um, they're called the attendings in, in the united
0: states the US, i think they're also yeah. called consultants in, in, the, in UK, the uk I, I think
1: yeah as well so uh and, and they do exactly as the name sounds they consult so you know in, in if you think about, you know, the hierarchy, as we've said so far, we've had the medical students, the interns, the HMOs and the registrars, you know, all of those people need guidance. And the consultants are the ones who have amassed huge amounts of experience over many years. And they are the ones who can give advice to all of these people, particularly to the registrar, who is, you know, under their sort of Per view, they're the ones who are directly being, supervised they are training the registrar so to speak so they would be consulting the registrar on any complex cases that the registrar wasn't yet comfortable with
0: hmm. so I guess again come back to our uh, apprentice parallel think about it this way the difference between an apprentice plumber and a senior appren- apprentice plumber and the master plumber. Mm. Right? The master plumber might talk to the client. They might explain exactly what needs to be done. They'll put together the plan. They'll you know, put together the material list. And then when they arrive on the site, the apprentice begins executing the plan, and the master plumber supervises them. They look over their shoulder, or if something tricky or complicated comes up or critical comes up, they will take over. But as a general rule, they are there to supervise and plan and execute so that is their role. So that, in, a sen- in essence, is the nutshell. And I mean- th- and I they would be yeah. the, specialist, right? the specialist, So when you think yeah. of it,
1: the medical specialist, hmm. that would be the consultant. Yep. And that's the same as a GP. You know, when you go and see mm-hmm. your GP, um, they are at a consultant level as well. And they yep. may also have, you know, registrars that are in the outpatient settings, so out of the hospital, mm-hmm. who are learning from them as well. But, uh, you know, the consultant is considered the pinnacle of training and they have, they have their letters, so to speak. Yeah. Um so they are they are there set to set all to their be, exams. They've set all their exams, they've finished all of their training, and at that point, you know, they are able to, you know, advise all of the people that look up to them, you know, as they move through through their own stages of training.
0: Mm. And you know, after that there's plenty of other things that we can talk about but I won't, because they're just in, you know, they're so far away that they're, they're almost irrelevant. You know. Mm. Things like PhDs, professorships that you sub-specialties. Know, a, a sub-specialties are light years away from, from me, me and you, Mitch. Um, and then certainly from you guys. I mean, we're pretty much on the same level. Relative to, to sort of professorship, I think Mitch and I are on the same level we as you We are practically guys. in the pre-admission yeah, game. Yeah, yeah we, are, we are in the pre-admission game with, yeah. uh, along with you guys. So uh, don't even worry about that. But today's episode of Who's Who has essentially given you guys a view of the landscape. This is what the hospital staff looks like. This is who you'll be meeting when you arrive at the hospital during your clinical training, and also who you will have the opportunity to discuss during your medical interviews. As usual, thanks so much for tuning in. We really hope that it's been helpful, and we hope to give you some more general interest podcast episodes in the very, very near future. And as always, good luck with your GAMSAT and interview preparations. See you soon.